Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Seriously Risky Business. I'm Adam Wallow, and I'm joined by my colleague, Tom Muren. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good, good, mate. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. So uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Asset Discovery and Attack Service Management Tool Run Zero. And I mention this not just because they're the sponsor, but because the whole existence of that category of product is in a large part about answering questions about your environment. And the most common questions are, how many Windows boxes do I actually have and how screwed are we by them? <laughs> and Microsoft and Windows and Office and Azure, for many people these days, are basically synonymous with computer. Microsoft plays an enormous role in every aspect of the technology world. And its importance when it comes to security, well, you, you, you kind of just can't understate it. The rise and fall of Microsoft's attitudes and practices around security change entire industries. I mean, you would remember there was an antivirus market once upon a time before Microsoft Defender came along. So when Microsoft makes a big move, repositioning its feelings around security, it really matters to everybody in this industry. And this week you looked at what many are calling, I guess, the sequel to Microsoft's trustworthy computing memo of the, of the early 2000s. Uh, so what's what's Microsoft got in store for us, and is it is it going to help? Do you think? <laughs> so, for a while, I've been writing pieces that have been, I guess, somewhat critical of Microsoft, and most yes. recently around the breach of both government and private company email. Um, there was a post mortem, and I said, "Look, this shows that there's a company that really just doesn't care about security." And there were a number of decisions where it's just inconceivable that if you cared, you would have done the things that Microsoft did. So that's that was kind <laughs> of my starting position. Certainly having your private key material stolen by a foreign government, not ideal if your job is key management. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and, and so the when I, I saw this, I thought, yes, Microsoft absolutely needs a sort of reset on security. They need to make it a higher priority. They need to focus on it and make the decisions, uh, more decisions on a security basis. So I was actually um, sadly excited by the prospect. <laughs> and what I'd seen on social media was quite positive. And then, um, again, I think I've been doing this too long. I was actually really disappointed when I read Aww. the material. Like this was, I've never been so disappointed <laughs> in, uh, in uh, a Microsoft strategy document. So I talk about the reasons why. So first of all, it starts off with, so Brad Smith, the vice president, wrote a post about what they're calling the Secure Future Initiative. So first of all, I think this is a bad start when you have the vice president rather than the CEO. Contrast back to 2002, Bill Gates, who was CEO of Microsoft at the time, wrote an email and he said, um, this is the most important thing for Microsoft. And when your CEO says that, I think that's really quite impactful. Yeah, that's a powerful message. And and certainly like Bill Gates is that original memo. You could kind of feel some of, like it felt less polished, like less workshopped by the marketing team. And it felt more authentic <laughs> and more, had more feeling, I guess, than, than this. Yeah, I think that email is famous for the, all the right reasons. Uh, and, and he just says, you know, we've done good work. But all that means nothing if we can't be trusted. So our most important priority is to get things right. And if we don't get things right, nothing else matters. He says what's wrong, what we need to change, and why we need to change, all in the space of one paragraph. So this Secure Future Initiative, by contrast, 
Brad Smith writes, we need to improve our security because of the increasing speed, scale, and sophistication of cyber attacks. And I'm like, okay, yes, that's probably true, but you need to improve your security because you're just doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Cyber attacks occur when there's some kind of flaw. You're putting out products with lots of flaws and you're almost attracting attacks to your products. And so it felt to me like he was putting the cart before the horse. It's not our problem, it's the world's problem, and we need to react to the world. Um, And so I felt like they're distancing themselves from what the real problem is. And there's an email that the vice president of security at Microsoft, Charlie Bell, wrote. And, you know, he says, we'll transform software, the way we develop software with automation, we'll improve the speed of vulnerability response on cloud platforms, and, you know, we'll do better at identity management. And all that sounded like kind of good. Yeah, I mean, that those are all things that have been weak points for them in, in recent memory, right? And obviously identity management, particularly critical with the, you know, the, the Chinese stealing of keys. But some of my colleagues and hacker chums that, you know, submit bugs to Microsoft in Azure stuff have found that the response times really have not been great and the responses <laughs> that they're getting are not great. And so like, there's definitely a real you know, need for more resourcing and better response in some of those places. And those engineering aspects, like they felt like reasonable things that needed to happen, but they didn't feel transformative in the way that the older trustworthy computing initiative yeah, did. Yeah, and I thought, you know, that's fine. That's things that you're doing to improve security, not transformative. The vice president of security says, we are all security engineers. And that's kind of great if it comes from the CEO. (laughs) When it comes from the head of security, uh, if you work for Charlie Bell, you go, yes, that was my job before and it is still my job now. And if you work outside that organization, you you think to yourself, (laughs) um, all those people are security engineers, you're not my boss. And so I think there's really a problem with the messaging, which makes me think like the company's just truly not on board with this. It's saying that it's going to do these things, but it doesn't feel genuine to me. So Smith says that there's three parts to what they're doing. One part is the engineering stuff. Okay, good. I'm hopeful that things will actually change. One part is a focus on AI-based cyber defenses. <laughs> and really, to me, <laughs> like, you know, in this job, I've talked to a number of people about the potential for AI to contribute to cyber defense. And I would describe it as the jury is still out. There's lots of potential. It's not exactly clear where that, that lies. So it feels to me like this is absolutely a worthwhile experiment. yes like there's definitely potential for ai to assist in these things but the path from right now to concrete improvement like that feels a bit wishy-washy to then just kind of wave the ai you know the magic ai hammer at it and hope something good is going to happen when we are still very much in the phase where we need to understand what the options are and how it works and how to use it well and i for one i mean that for me was the real low point of this whole thing because I am not reassured. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to me, it's really concerning if you make it a second 
I mean, it was the first plank he actually talked about of your strategy to improve security. Yeah. We're just going to AI it. At the very least, part of this process is about reassuring customers and reassuring regulators and, and so on. And this particular bit did not fill me with any you know, good vibes <laughs> about where <laughs> things were heading. And then I guess the, the third pillar you're about to mention, I suspect probably is where your biggest criticisms are going to be, right? Which is norms. Yeah, well, like, like I've got really mixed feeling about norms. So a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the Red Cross producing a paper. And I think yes. it's great when people try and do that sort of thing because uh, in a way, talking about it is cheap. You may get some wins, so it seems worthwhile. Um, when you make it the third, and Smith actually called it a critical component of the Secure Future Initiative. And it, if it is a critical component, that means the initiative is doomed to failure because I think yes. you're not going to talk states and criminals into better behavior. Like the reason they do bad stuff is because bad stuff is easy to do. And They're employed by a state. They can do as they please. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I think the way to change behavior is to change the environment. And, and Microsoft can do that by improving security. I think again, the you know it's kind of the cart before the horse. Yes. Now, now to be clear, I think Microsoft is it, it is worth talking about these issues. It's just it is, absolutely not yeah, definitely worth talking about. It's just not the, the third, third pillar and critical, important blah blah blah, right? I mean, Microsoft's cooperation with law enforcement and things like botnet takedowns and working with law enforcement against ransomware gangs and so on like there is a bunch of really useful work that microsoft has done over the years in in those realms and those are less about setting norms but helping to enforce them and make those norms more real for those people like and yeah. that's really valuable yeah and you know if in that strategy they had said we will will invest more effort more people, more resources, more time in those kinds of practical applications, yes. I would have thought, yes, that's actually a really good idea. They go entirely unmentioned. Um, and so that, to me, was also uh, just a massive disappointment. So yes. uh, now I was wondering, I like I read this and I thought that there's a massive problem here. They haven't identified what's the right problem and they've proposed solutions that don't address what I think is the problem. Now, as a technical person, do you think that that's right? Or do you think that it's a lost cause or, or do you have more hope? Anything that raises security's kind of stock in Microsoft internal conversation is, is going to help. Yep. It's not going to be transformative, I don't think. So it's, but... this has raised their stock somewhat. Somewhat, but it's not in not in the same <laughs> not way wholeheartedly as as it was with trustworthy computing. And it's important. I mean, for those people who haven't been around in the industry for a long time, like trustworthy computing was against a backdrop of Microsoft having released Windows XP and Internet Explorer really starting to take off as a browser that was widely used. The rise of ActiveX components uh, in Word, like an Office documents and also in the browser, which made mobile code and the ability to attack those things uh, and, and abuse them very, very prevalent. And then a whole bunch of large-scale internet worms like mm. uh, Slammer, Sasa, Nimda, Code Red, etc., that had you know, devastated the internet of the day. And all of that was straight up on Microsoft's plate. And so they were looking down the barrel of what to them 
you know, probably felt pretty existential. I think that the, the kind of top level strategy is we just need to care about security more. And that um, the, the initiative so far has not given me the warm fuzzies that that's the intent. I guess I'd like to contrast it with another piece of Microsoft um, output that I read this week, which was uh, Ned Pyle. Uh, he's in, uh, in the Windows team, and he's been working on getting rid of NTLM authentication uh, and making Windows more robust, getting rid of old SMB file sharing and so on. And he wrote a post about a thing they've managed to carve out uh, of the gubbins of Windows, uh, which is, uh, if you've been around a long time, you may remember NetSend. It was a thing that you could use to like send pop-up messages to other people on Windows <laughs> machines without auth if you're in the environment, so you could troll them. And Ned wrote a blog post about this where he describes it as, quote, mail slots are older than Windows NT, dating back to land manager for DOS days. It goes without saying that this protocol is disgusting. <laughs> and then goes you know, talks about how they're going to remove it and so on. Like, that's what I want from Microsoft. I want honest you know, realistic self-reflection on the security of their products. I want some action to help fix it. I want some consideration of the backwards compatibility problems, which he talks about in this piece. And I want ultimately honest engineering communication from them that shows that they care and understand. And like Ned exudes that. Like you read Ned's post, you see him present at a conference. Like I feel great about Microsoft reading that. Yeah, yeah. It feels like um, the security people in Microsoft care about security. Of course they do, yes. And that's it. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I wish I wish you were wrong, but unfortunately that's that's the vibe we get from it. So yeah. Um Moving on from Microsoft, because I'm, I'm, it's making me depressed now thinking, thinking about it. <laughs> moving on from Microsoft. Uh, one of the other things uh, you wrote about this week was an update on uh, the story of EncroChat, the crime phone thing in Europe that the I think it was the French police yeah, uh, hacked right. into and, and helped themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've written about crime phones a couple of times. Yes. One of them is EncroChat, and the disruption op operation was just tremendously successful. Um, So really thousands of people arrested, huge amounts of drugs seized. And it turns out that that operation only ran for a couple of months. And I was always curious about that. Why so short? And it turns out that there was a woman, uh, Natalie Mottram, who was working for the Cheshire Police and ended up being an intelligence analyst on the UK portion of that operation. So EncroChat was sold all over Europe, and so there were a number of different country law enforcement agencies involved. And she was getting intelligence from the EncroChat interception, but she was also friends with uh, people associated with criminals. (laughs) So she (laughs) was actually living with um, a flatmate of one a person who had associates who were using EncroChat. So she told this bloke, Jonathan Kay, hey, the police have a way of breaking into EncroChat. Kay told his mates, who then messaged on EncroChat, watch out, the police have a way of getting into EncroChat. And so very quickly, that was within like almost three weeks, just three weeks of when the operation started, she was telling Kay that, it had been breached. Um, so just a month after that, the operation was shut down because EncroChat learnt 
that its system had been breached and shut down the the whole service. Um, so it's it's kind of a wild story in that the Motram told Kay, Kay told his criminal associates. They spoke on EncroChat, um, and so the police monitoring EncroChat went, oh, "Who is this person who's leaked that the operation <laughs> is going on?" And it, um, I guess that was a pretty short path back to uh, the lady in question. Yeah, so they actually launched a sting operation. So they gave her, the National Crime Agency in Britain gave her a dossier that was <laughs> that dealt with her friend, Jonathan Kay, <laughs> that they just <laughs> made up. They gave her the dossier. She took it and immediately drove to Kay's place <laughs> and showed it to him. And that launched a whole series of messages that they were able to intercept. And so she's gone to jail for three years. It doesn't seem super unreasonable under the circumstances. She had uh, uh, the the newspaper reports that it was like a £1,500 a month cannabis habit. And this whole story it depends on the pricing, but that seems that seems pretty that that seems a lot. <laughs> it does seem a lot, and. Um, she had actually previously, before she got this job, had looked up people she knew on the intelligence databases. <laughs> and so there's just all these red flags. And I guess it's sadly for her, no one thought enough to stop her from taking or getting that particular job. A good example of why high security organizations spend a lot of time vetting people. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was a fascinating story, though. It's a very human story in a way, and I yeah, quite like right. you know when we get to see the human sides of people whose lives are tied up in this stuff is always interesting. Well, I think that's probably about it uh, for today's episode, Tom. Thanks very much uh, for your work this week, and thanks for your time. Thanks, Adam. We'll do it all again next week, I hope. So see you then. See ya. See ya.